Chapter 54 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 54 Crips Brings Home the Crown. Although the solid Crips might now be supposed by other people to have baffled all his enemies, in his own mind there was no sense of triumph, but much of wonder. The first thing he did when all danger was past, and Dobbin was peddling his old tune, three happens and tuppence, three happens and tuppence, a good horse knows what his shoes are worth, was to tie up Gracie in a pair of sacks. He thumped them well on the footboard first, to shake all the mealiness out of them, and then, with permission, he spread one over the delicate shoulders, and the other in front, across the trembling heart and throat. Then, by some hereditary art, he fastened them together, so that the night air could not creep between. "'Crips, you are too good,' said Grace. "'If I could only tell you half the times that I have thought of you, and once when I saw a sack of yours—' "'Lor, miss, the very one as I have missed. Hadn't got a red cross, thick to one side. The Lord only knows what a fool I be, to carry on with such rum-tums now. However, I'll have hold of ye.' and some it more ere I be done with it. Here the carrier rubbed his mouth on his sleeve, as he always did to stop himself. He was not going to publish the family disgrace till he had avenged it. But now, miss, not another word you say. Inside of them sacks you go to sleep. The Lord knows you want it dearly. And fall away you can't know how. Scratched you be to that extreme in getting out of Satan's den— that tallow candles dropped in water is what I must see to. None of em knows it. No, not one of em. Man or horse, it cometh all the same. It taketh a man to do it, though. I should like to see a horse do it, said Grace, and her sleepy smile passed into sleep. Eager as she was to be in her father's arms, the excitement and the exertion and the unwanted shaking and passage through the air began to tell their usual tale. This was the very thing the crafty carrier longed to bring about. It left him time to consider how to meet two difficulties. The first was to get her through Beckley without any uproar of the natives. The second, to place her in her father's arms without dangerous emotion. The former point he compassed well, by taking advantage of the many ins and outs of the leisurely lanes of Beckley so that he drew up at the back door of the Barton, without a single sapient villager being one bit the wiser. Now, if he only had his sister with him, a second point might have been better managed, because he would have sent her on in front to treat with Mrs. Hookham and employ all the feminine skill supplied by quickness, sympathy, and invention. As it was, he must do the best he could, and his greatest difficulty was with Grace herself. The young lady by this time was wide awake and stirred with such violent throbbings of heart at the view of divine and desirable Beckley sleeping in the moonlight and at the breadth of her own home door and haunt of her darling father's steps that Cripps had to hold her down by her sacks and wished that he could strap her so. Do he zit still, miss? Do he zit still? He kept on saying till he was afraid of being rude. You are a tyrant, Cripps, a perfect tyrant, because you have picked me up and been so good, have you any right to keep me from my father? Them reasonings, said Cripps in a decided tone, is good, but comes to nothing. 
Either you do as I begs you, Missy, or I turns Dobbin's head and back you go. It is for the squire's sake that I spake so harsh to ye. Supposing you was to kill him, Missy, what would you say arterwards? Oh, is he so dreadfully ill as that? I will do everything exactly as you tell me. Then get down very softly, Miss, and run and hide in that old doorway, quite out of the moonshine, and stay there till I come to fetch ye. Still covered with the sacks, the maiden did as she was told, while a carrier with ungainly skill and needless cautions to his horse, who stood like a rock, descended. Then he walked into the squire's kitchen, with whip in hand as usual, as if he were come to deliver goods. The fat cook was now sitting calmly by the fire meditating. To her the time of year made no difference, except for the time that meat must hang, and a recollection of what was in its prime, and a consideration of the draft required, and the shutting of the sun out when he spoiled the fire. In the fire of young days, when herself quite raw, this admirable cook had been done brown by a handsome young Methodist preacher. Before she understood what a basting ladle is, her head was set spinning by his tongue and eyes. He had three wives already, but he put her on the list, took all her money out of her, and went another circuit. The poor girl spent about a year in crying, and then she returned to the Church of England, buried her baby, and became a cook. Without being soured by any evil, she now had long experience, and a ripe style of twirling her thumbs upon her apron. Please, Miss Cook, began Zachary, entering under official privilege, and trying to look full of business. Do we know where to lay hand on Mother Hookham? A valuable piece of goods I has to deliver, and must have good receipt for'n. But, lor, Master Cripps, now, whatever be about, it ain't one of your Hoxford days, and us never sends out no washing. You've owed me a long time now, ain't you, Mrs. Cook? Did you ever know me for to play trick'em truly? Never have you done that to my knowledge, good woman answered steadfastly, though pained in her heart by the thought of one who had. Master Cripps is known to be the breadth of his own word. Then, my good soul, will ye fetch down Mother Hookham? It bain't for the flourishes, the Lord Almighty knows. I haven't got the governing of them little scrawls myself, nor the seasoning amongst them as that pertains to you. Beautifully you could have done it, Mrs. Cook, but the directions here is so particular. For a job of this sort, you are twenty years too young. Oh, Master Cripps cried the cook, who made a star like that upon a pie, for her manual sign. Well, you know that the ruin of my days has been trust and education. Standing aside of it, I was a-took in, and afore there come any pen or pencil, three hundred twenty pounds was gone. Not for a moment do I blame the word of God, only them as blasphemeth it, but the whole of my inner parts is turned against a pepper, even on a pie-crust. Don't ye give way now, dear heart alive. Many a time have ye told me, and every time I feels the more for ye. Quite a young woman you still be in a way, and a treasure for a young man with a wame in his throat. And half a guinea every week you might aim for roastin' dinner parties. But do we now go and fetch Mother Hookham down? The old woman isn't in the house, Master Cripps. She hath so many things to mind that the wonder is how she can ever go through of them. A heavy weight she hath taken off my shoulders ever since here she come, in virtue of her tongue, 
but her darter can be had to put a flower to almost anything if my signs isn't grand enough to go into your hat, Master Cripps. Now, my dear good soul, replied the carrier, standing back and looking at her, you be taken of everything in a crooked way, you be. I have a little thing to see to, nor to say of a kitchen in it, and some sort of style peculiar, requireth peculiar management, I do assure you, and no harm. Will ye please to hearken to me now, such as I have to say, not much. The brave cook answered this appeal by running to fetch Mary Hookham, in everything that now she did, even with such a man as Cripps, the remembrance of vile deceit made her look out for a witness. Mary came down with a bounce, as if she had never been near her looking-glass, but was born with her ribbons and color to match, and her eyes shone fresh at the sight of Master Cripps. "'How well you be looking, my dear, for sure,' said the carrier, having, as a soldier has, his admiration of a pretty girl quickened by the sound of firearms. "'And I be come to make ye look still better.' Mary cast a glance at the cook, as if she thought her one too many. Cripps must be going to declare his mind at last, and Mary had such faith in him that she required no witness. "'Who do ye think that I have brought ye back?' asked Zachary, meaning to be very quiet, but speaking so loud in his pride that Mary, with a pale face, ran and shut the door upon the steps leading to her master's quarters. Then she came back more at leisure, and put her elbows to her sides, and looked at Master Cripps, as if she had never meant to think of him for herself. And this made Cripps, who had been exulting at her first proceedings, put down his whip in wonder. "'Not Miss Grace!' cried Mary. "'Surely never our Miss Grace!' "'What a intellect that young woman hath,' said Cripps aloud, reflecting. "'Almost too much. I be verily afeard.' "'Oh, no, Master Cripps, not at all too much for any one as entereth into it, with a household feeling. But were I right? Oh, Master Cripps, were I right?' "'Mary Hookham,' said Cripps, coming over and laying his hand on her shoulder, as he used to do when she was a little wench and made him a curtsy with a glass of ale, even then admiring him. Mary, you are right, as I never could believe any would have the quickness. Cripps hath a brought home to this old ancient mansion the very most valuable case of goods as ever were inside it, better than the crown as the young queen hath for ten months now preparing. Alive? asked Mary, shrinking back towards the fire, for his metaphor might mean coffins. "'Now, there you go down again, there you go down,' answered Cripps, who enjoyed the situation, and desired to make the most of it. "'I thought you was all intellect, but better, perhaps, without too much. Put it to yourself, now, Mary, whether I should look like this, if I had only brought the remainses.' "'Oh, where is her? Where is her? Wherever can her be?' cried Mary, forgetting all her fine education and strong vernacular excitement. Her be where I knows to find her again, answered Zachary with a steadfast face. It was not for any one to run and strike a light betwixt him and his own work. Her might be to Abington or to Banbury. Proper time come, I can fetch her afford. Oh, I thought you had got her in the house, Master Cripps. How disappointing you do grow, to be sure. I suppose it is the way of all men. Mary shed a tear, and Master Cripps, having been tried by sundry women, went closer, to be sure of it. He was pleased at the sign, but he went on with his business. You deserve to know everything, 
Now can ye shut the doors without a chance of anybody breaking in? Mary and the cook, with a glance at one another, fastened all the doors of a large low kitchen, except for the one leading to the lane itself. You bide just as you be, said Cripps, and I'll show ye something worth looking at. He ran to the place where Grace was hiding, in the chill and the heat of impatience, and he took the coarse sacks from her shoulders, as if her sackcloth time was done at last. Then he led her to the warmth and light, and she hung behind, afraid of them, that strange but not uncommon shyness of one's own familiar home when long unseen came over her, and she felt for the moment almost afraid of her own beloved father. But Cripps made her come, and both Mary Hookham and the fat cook cried, Oh my, my good, and ran up and kissed her, and held her hands while she stood pale and mute, with large blue eyes brimful of tears, and lips that wavered between smile and sob. Does he, does he know about me? She managed to say to Cripps while she glanced at the door leading up to her father's room. Not he, Lord bless you, my dear, said Cripps. It taketh them all half hour apiece to believe as you ever be alive, miss. It would never take my father two minutes, answered Grace. He will be a great deal too glad of it to doubt. You promised to abide by my directions, the carrier cried reproachfully. If he don't, I won't answer for nort of it. Now you sit down, miss, by back kitchen door, to come or go either way, according as is ordered. Now Mary plays to go, and say that Cripps hath come to see his worship about a little mistake he hath made. Mr. Oglander never refused to see any who came to visit him. His simple, straightforward mind compelled him to go through with everything as it turned up, whether it were of his own business or any other person's. Therefore, he said, Show Cripps in here. Cripps was in no hurry to be shown in. He felt that he had a ticklish job to carry through, and he might drop the handles if himself were touched amiss, and he thought that he could get on much better with a clever woman there to help him. Please, your worship, he began, coming in with his finger to his forelock and his stiff knee sticking out. Don't ye run away now, Mary. That's a dear. You knows all the way bills, and his worship will allow of you. Why, Cripps, Mr. Oglander exclaimed, you are making a very great fuss tonight, and you look as if you had been run over. Even if it is half a crown, Cripps, you are come to prove against me. Put it down. I will not dispute it. I know that you would rather wrong yourself than me. The old gentleman was tired, and he did not want to talk. In course, in course, said Zachary, as if every man preferred to wrong himself. But the point is a differing thing, and, Mary, speak up if you say you know it is. Yes, sir, I do assure you now, said Mary. The point is altogether quite a different sort of thing. Then why can't you come to it? cried the squire. Is it that you want to marry one another? Mary's face blushed to a fine young color, and Cripps made a nod at her, as if he meant to think of it, but he must leave that for another evening. I never could abide such stuff, muttered Mary, as if all the world was a maid of wives and husbands. The squire sat calmly with his head upon his hand and his white hair glistening in the lamplight, as he gazed from one to the other, with a smile of melancholy amusement, it would be a great discomfort to him to lose Mary Hookham's service, 
and he thought it a little unkind of her to leave him in this sad loneliness, but he had not lived threescore years and ten without knowing what the way of the world is. Therefore, if Cripps had made up his mind, as the woman had long been declaring that he as a man was bound to do, Mr. Oglander would be the last to complain, or say a word to damp them. The carrier himself had some idea that such was the working of the squire's mind. Now, your worship, he said, putting Mary away to a place where she could use her handkerchief, will ye please to hearken without your own opinion before last heard what there be to say? Neither of us dreameth of doing you the wrong to take away Mary while you be wanting of her. You ought to have knowed us better, squire. And as for poor Mary— I ain't said a word to back up her hopes of a having me yet. Now, Miss Mary, have I? No, that you never haven't, Master Cripps. And it may come too late if it ever do come. Well, well, continued Master Cripps, without much terror in the way as she turned her back. Riley, your worship, it was you who throwed us out, reckoning of my times as a hard thing for me and a hundred and four times a year is too much for the discretion of a horse, almost. Very well, Cripps, said the squire in despair. Everyone knows that you must have your time. Not a word will I speak again until I have your leave. I calls it unhandsome of your worship to say that, being so contrary of my best characteristics. Your worship maineth all things for the best, I am persuaded, but speaking thus you drives me into such a perspiration, the same as used to be a sweat when I was young and forced to it. Now, doth your worship know that all things cometh in a round like a sound cartwheel to all such folks as trust the Lord? I know that you have such a theory, Cripps. You beat the whole village in theology. And a learned scholar in Oxford, your worship, you were quite doubled up about the tribe of Levi, but for all of our stuff, the Lord still goeth on making his rounds to his own right time. And now his time hath come for you, squire. Do try to speak out, Cripps, and tell me what excites you so. Mary, his worship is beginning to look white. Fetch in the pepper caster and the gallon of vinegar as I delivered last Wednesday. No, Mary, no, I want nothing of the kind. Tell him, beg him just to speak out what he means. "'Cripps, Master Cripps, now!' cried Mary in a tremble. "'You be going too far, and then stopping of a heap like. "'His worship ought to be led into the hole of it gradual, gradual, gradual.' "'Can he trust in the word of the Lord, your worship?' asked Cripps, advancing bravely. "'Can he do that now, without no disrespect to ye? "'In two minutes more you'll drive me mad between you,' "'the old squire shouted as he rose and spread his arms. "'In the name of God, what is it? Is it of my daughter?' "'Yes, yes, father dearest. Who else could it be in the whole of the world?' A clear voice cried as a timid form grew clearer. "'They would go on all night, but I could not wait a moment, Daddy. I am sure that you won't be frightened. You can't have too much of your own grace, can you? Don't let it go to your heart, my darling. Grace will rub it for you. There.' Let me put my head just as I used, and then you will be certain, won't you? She laid her head upon her father's breast, while Mary caught hold of the carrier's sleeve, and led him away to the passage. Then the old man's weak and trembling fingers 
strayed among his daughter's hair, and he could not speak or smile or weep. There, you will be better directly, darling, she whispered, looking up with streaming eyes as she felt him tremble exceedingly, and her quick hands eased him of the little brooch containing her mother's hair and her own, which fastened his quavering shirt frill. You wanted me to come back, didn't you? But not in such a hurry, darling, not in such a hurry. Father dear, why ever don't you kiss me? If you did not run away, dear, say you did not run away. Daddy, you cannot be so ill-minded, so very wicked to your only child. The old man took his child's hand in his own and soothed her down and drew her down until they were kneeling at the table side by side. Then they put up their hands to thank God for one another and did it not with lips, but with heart and soul. End of chapter 54